This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. New message. What up, what up? It's Heather's cousin. You dated her in college, or maybe you were just in the same class. Anyway, I heard you bought a boat, my man. Let's hit the water. Oh, and Heather told me you always liked uh, snacks and stuff, so I could totally bring some chips. When you get a boat, you also get new friends. Make sure Progressive's one of them, and get coverage today for as little as $100 a year. Hey, also, I'm a little short on cash, so can you cover the chips? Thanks. I can see why Heather liked you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Annual Premium for Basic Liability Policy not available in all states. On August 25th, I'm the most brutal, vicious, ruthless champion that ever been. The most anticipated original series is here. You may know Tyson. You're the heavyweight champion of the world, young, rich, and black. But do you know Mike? The minute you get too big, they gotta cut you down. Starring Trevante Rhodes. Um, I am Mike. And Harvey Keitel. They'll love you as much as they fear you. Now I'm really gonna have some fun. Mike, series premiere August 25th, only on Hulu. Once again, everybody, and welcome back to another sparkling edition of that Millwall podcast as we step into the lion's den with another former lion. Today's guest, well, he joined us in the in the mid-1960s from Queen's Park Rangers and played 160-odd appearances, I think it was. It's a good afternoon to Mr George Jacks. Good afternoon, George. How are you, mate? Good afternoon, Neil. Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us uh, in these extraordinary times. You probably lived through everything, haven't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with these times. So you, let's go back right to the very beginning. You were a Stepney boy, weren't you? Stepney born. I was, yes. So you're an East Londoner, an East Ender. So you came through, 
yeah, well, yeah, we were just talking then. Uh, you were a school friend of Harry Redknapp, played for the same district, Birder yeah. FC. Yeah, that's correct. Um, Birder FC. It wasn't where my estate was. I lived on Lansbury Estate, but Birder FC was where Harry lived, and we had um, quite well a decent side there. We played in the Regent Boys Leagues, which we had to track. We played at Regent's Park a lot. And Hackney Marshes, and it was Hackney Marshes where the scouts, whoever that were there that day, um, one particular Sunday, that they collared about five or six of us, and um, they they said we'd like you to send you to Millwall, um, sorry, Queens Park Rangers, or some wanted to take to West Ham, and Harry went to West Ham, I went to Queens Park Rangers. Because I've got a note that you're an amateur at. West Ham, is that not right? I, I was. Years ago, they, they didn't have combinations. Well, they had a combination side, but they also had an A team. They called it an A team. And that's, you know, I had a few games in their A side. But I'm, I, I could see that at the time I wasn't going to get, get anywhere. And then um, I heard that Queen's Park Rangers were interested. So I went to Queen's Park Rangers. And I'm glad I did. Um, we had a Great little side, uh, sex, successful youth side. We got to the semi-finals of the um, FA Youth Cup, where we were knocked out by Swindon, and in a, over a two-leg affair. And it was Dom Rogers who got the the winning goal at the one-nil. We lost the tie one-nil, and we also won the um, South East Counties League that year, beating Chelsea on the last game of the season at Loftus Road. Who were your teammates at that time at QPR? Uh, at QPR, um, I had the Morgan twins, Mickey Leach, yep. um, Frank Sibley, Tony Hazel played in the side, um, Peter Springett was in our goal, so we had a good fair old side. But that was the nucleus of the side that I think that went on and won promotion from Division Three in the League Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, they went on. Um, I moved to Millwall. In 1965, and um, I, I'm pleased that I did. I never looked back after that, and you know, it's, it's a club that's in my heart. You had one game, I think, in the first team, didn't you? A nil-nil draw against Exeter. Yeah, I'm, where I I'm, think I'm, I must have I made think... a sorry, I must have made a good impression because <laughs> short, shortly after that, I was surplus to requirements, and then Millwall came along, and I grabbed the chance and. I was determined from that day onwards that I was going to really go for it. Because I think the right-back that day would be well-known to a lot of older Millwall fans. It was actually Pat Brady who, I think, recently passed away, didn't he? Yeah. Brother of Liam. That's right. Well, also, um, Ray Brady played for Millwall. Yeah, Ray. Yeah, that's right. He's a good centre brother. Yeah, that's right. So, how did you move to Millwall come about then, George? Because obviously you'd been released by QPR. Did you think that you were going to get another club, or did you, or well, did you start looking for another job? No, I, I, I always thought I was good enough to go to another club, and um, it was during the summer that I was contacted by Millwall, and um, it was Billy Gray who rang me up and said I'd like you to come down. Um, we've been you've been recommended by um, a chap called uh, the ex Ipswich player um, Andy Nelson, 
And yep. um, I went down to Millwall, uh, had a little bit of a trial, played a couple of games. And after that, um, Billy signed me. And that was it. I think and yeah, Andy Nelson is going to play a little bit of a part a little bit later on in this story. Yep. Because obviously he signed you for Gillingham. But that's right. But, well, that's a lot, 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 lot further on down the line. And uh, so, so you sign for Millwall, you make your debut, yeah, and you break a record in the process because you became our first ever substitute. Tell us about that. Well, I I, I didn't realise that I'd get on that day, obviously, because Kenny Jones was the white player that got injured, and um, soon as you know, soon as he said he he couldn't carry on. And I got sent off onto the pitch. I thought, well, you know, the atmosphere there was unbelievable. And um, it, took, it took me quite a while to get used to that roar, I tell you. <laughs> it was actually a 2-0 win against Workington, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Workington Town. Yeah, we're no longer in the, in the Football League now. So, What do you remember about the game itself? Because... <laughs> Not a lot. It was a baking hot day. I know that. And the pitch was very dry. And um, I mean, the amount of time, I think, I, I can't remember, I may have had 12, 12 minutes on the pitch. About, you know, there's not a lot you can do in 12 minutes. But after that, I had, it, it did instill confidence in me to go on and, you know, try better things. Yeah, well, I guess at the back of your mind, you've just been released by a club, so you probably your confidence needed building, didn't it? Well, absolutely. When you think about it, this day and age, they take them at six, seven, and eight, and they're coaching them. I was an all right. I was a nineteen-year-old lad, but I was going onto a pitch amongst a lot of well-hardened professionals, like Len Julians, Tommy Wilson, Brian Snowden, Johnny Gilchrist, Harry Cripps. I mean, they were eight, seven or eight years older than I was, and I was only a 19-year-old lad, and it, I was in awe of everything, to be on the pitch with those sort of players. Because Millwall was a club that was going places because we'd just been promoted out of the fourth division, hadn't we? Yeah, that's right. And, and things were looking good. Yep. Um, you know, once I got into the team, I played... Inside forward, I was played in different positions. I, I was called years ago, a, what they, they don't call them that now, a utility player. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you one size fits all, like, you know. Because the real strength of that season for me was actually our defence. You look at our defence, Alex Stepney in goal. Yes. John Gilchrist, Harry yeah. Cripps, Brian Snowden, Tom Wilson, as you said. Yeah, they all missed about five or six games between them, didn't they? Yeah, it yeah, was... it's unbelievable. Just, you know, when players play that amount of games, and especially that at that time years ago, I mean, the pitches weren't great, but um, some of the tackling when that went on this this day and age, I shudder when I see them just put their hand on their back and down they go. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> I mean, a good tackle. Did, not tackling from behind, but a full-on 50-50. There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, this day and age, just don't allow it. And these were 50-50 tackles, weren't they? If the they... ball was there, you were expected to win it. Absolutely. You had to go for it. And on the, the pitches that we played on, my goodness me, our, our, I, in all my time in, at football, 
I didn't have one break on my body. Nothing at all. No serious injury at all. And yeah, but that's not bad considering the physiotherapy back then was probably rudimental at best, wasn't it? <laughs> rude, rude, well, I mean, if you read Brian King's book, um, Jack Blackman, our trainer, he used to come on. If you were driving in agony, say you twisted your ankle, they'd turn around and say, Jack Blackman, it was, he was our uh, trainer. Yeah. He came on, he said, Oh, there's nothing wrong with your son. Come here, give me that sponge. You just put a cold sponge on your foot. And he, up you get. Go on, get back on there. That's how it was. And even it, I, I can remember twisting my ankle on a Monday night game against Huddersfield Town. And this was, um, I had to go to hospital afterwards because I twisted my ankle. Came back to the club, had some treatment. And Jack said to me, we've got a game on Wednesday. I said, yeah, I know that, Jack. I said, I, I won't be able to play. So he said, oh, yeah, we'll put a stick and a needle in that. That'll be all right. So he stuck, a, you know, a, a needle in on the Wednesday morning of the game, and I played on the Wednesday night. And my ankle, my ankle, it must have been six inches bigger than me, me left. You know, my right ankle was six inches bigger than me left. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you could get a boot on. Well, well, just about did. But there you go. That, that was it. That's how it was those days. So what was it like playing with those five players behind you at Millwall at that time? Unbelievable. Um, I, you could trust them with your life. I mean, Tommy, Tommy Wilson, he was my mentor. He, you know, he put me, because he knew I was a young lad just coming to the side, and he used to tell me roughly things to do, just take, just take care of yourself and all that sort of And it stood me in good stead, you know. Um, Tommy, good player. Harry Cripps, uh, he's a one-off. Harry was a one-off. Um, you never know what you got with Harry, but the thing was that I always found about him was he enjoyed life. Everything that he did, he did with a smile. And nothing fazed him. And, you know, if you can take a little uh, note out of his book, how he used to play and go about things, um, you wouldn't go far wrong. What's your favourite Harry Cripp story? We've got to ask you um, that whilst we're talking uh, about the great man. Well, Harry, he, on, when, we used to, when we used to travel away on a Friday night, they used to have a programme on BBC, It's a Knockout. And yeah. he used to run a book. He'd price up the, have a look what countries would participate in, and he would price them up accordingly, and then he'd run a book, and we, we had a little wager on it. He always used to come out winning, obviously, because uh, Harry's Harry. He always did. He always come out with the sun shining with Harry. <laughs> yeah, but it's a bit of a ducker and diver, wasn't he? He was. He I mean, market stall and things like well, that, didn't they? Well, I'm not surprised because on every Christmas, there used to be a, a lorry come down to Millwall at the front gates at Coldblow Lane, stashed with um, coats, wine beer, everything. And Harry used to buy a jot lot and then off he'd go to Essex where he lived and somehow he had people that wanted stuff and he used to sell them at a profit. That was, <laughs> our, that, was our, that was Harry Cripps. And as hard as nails as well, so you wouldn't it, argue with him. No, certainly wouldn't. Well, you did go into tackles with him in training, but um, you knew what you got with Harry. 
I mean, he does tackle, and like we all did at the time, we just had to stand our ground, you know. Um, and a lot of the time, when I look back now, there was such a camaraderie amongst those players. I was a young lad compared to a lot of them, but um, they took me in their fold, and, um, well, that's it. It's history now. What we did, 59 home games without defeat, brilliant. Yeah, but Johnny Gilchrist wasn't a bad player either, was he? Right, John, hard as John, you like. It, that's right. He was um, hard as nails, John. Very quick for a fullback as well. He was very fast. But um, John, you know, he, he was a steady influence at the back like they all were. Brian Snowden was steady, as you say, and um, Harry as well, and Alex Stepney in goal, you know. Funnily enough, I wanted to come on to Alex Stepney because he would have been probably the next youngest to you, wouldn't he? Yes, he was. Um, I when I I got in the side at nineteen, so I think Alex was about twenty one, twenty two at the time. But the rest of them, you know, they were thirty year olds, thirty two, thirty three, and especially what I must mention, Lenny Julians, lovely man, good footballer, and salt of the earth. I was going to come on to Len Julians a little bit later. Oh right, because he was actually, because he was, because he was actually leading the scorer that season. Did you know that Stepney was destined for great things? Well, you could see that Alec was a cut above a lot of them. Um, some of the saves he used to pull off were unbelievable. And um, well, when it, when he did eventually go to Chelsea, I mean, he went to Chelsea and then Man United, but he deserved to go there. Yeah, he was such a good goalkeeper. And he actually went for a world record fee, which was quite something for Millwall to get a world record fee for a player. Absolutely. For a, yeah, for somebody in his position. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Lenny Julians. He scored 22 goals that season, was our leading goal scorer. No yeah. doubt quite a few of them were supplied by Billy Neal and Barry Rowan. Yes. So, yeah. so we had it all over the pitch, really, didn't we? We had very, very good players. We did. It was, as I said, um, even the early stages of myself getting into the team, it was a very um, tight-knit unit. We, we all knew what one another wanted, 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 you know, what we wanted to do, and um, it just flowed from there. And as I said earlier, the camaraderie was unbelievable on the field and off the field. Yeah, but of course, yeah, but Billy's been associated with Millwall for almost as long as the club's existed, really, well, hasn't he? Well, Bill, Billy's my best mate, really. I mean, he's the only one I, I keep in touch with. I, when I do go down there as a guest, I like to see the other players, but Billy is my mainstay who I talk to, find out how things are about down the club and how things are going. And um, as I say, I, I've known Billy for 50 years now. Lovely man. Was he a good player? God, was he? He had some shot on him. I've, I've, I've never seen over the years somebody of his stature the way he hit the ball. It was, for a slightly looking lad, what a shot he had on him. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And he had Barry Rowan on the other wing. Yeah, who, who who was still around the club? Yeah, but he I was know. for quite a long time. It was a shame what happened to him um, at the Millwall because he'd been quite a stalwart there for years. Um, 
entertaining people when used to crack so many jokes, Barry. You, you don't know whether to take him serious or not, but he was a hell of a joke maker. And for the, the job that he did at Millwall recently, um, last five, six years back now, showing people around the ground, he used to give in, give people a little um, comedy things and situations, what he came across, always ending up with a bit of a joke. But that was Barry, nice man, he entertained people. Yeah, it was quite good that you talk about entertaining because he actually had a band, didn't he, with Brian Adams, not Brian Adams for the younger viewers or listeners who's a musician, but Brian Adams who played for Millwall at the time, the surfers. Were they any good? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> not as far as bands go, anyway. Because we actually had a singer there at the time called Dennis John didn't we whose well, son is actually in the Welsh rugby team at the moment oh right I didn't know that Dennis John um when I first went to Millwall uh, he was the first person that really um how can I say warm to me he used to talk you know things through and he, he was the first person I, I believe if I think back now he went to his house you know he's the first pl player to ask us back to his house and I had a look round, and it was a lovely uh, place he had. And Dennis went to South Africa eventually, didn't he? He left me all warm yeah. to South Africa. But he was and then Australia. Yeah, that's right. He was, he was a gentleman as well. Yeah, no, his son, for those that are listening, is actually the Sail Sharks and Wales prop forward Will Griffjohn. Oh, well, I didn't know that. And that's, that's, nice, that's nice to know. So if you watch the Six Nations yeah. this weekend or you know, next weekend, because this weekend's an off week, he right. has been called up into the squad. So, ah. And I think that Dennis died four or five yeah. years ago now, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Tragically yeah. young. Yeah, I think he's passed now, but um, like so many of them, um, you know, like Sir Barry Kitchener, I miss Barry a lot. He was a lovely lad as well. In that side that season was somebody who, if you read Brian King's book, he hasn't got a lot of time for him, Mr. Eamon Dumphy. What was yeah. he like? What was your what was My, your take on Eamon? Same as Brian's. Absolutely. Um, with Eamon, he's very, very politically minded. And certain things you say, he would jump on you. And he'd want to argue all afternoon. And I couldn't, you know, at times I just couldn't be bothered with him, to be honest with you. But he was a little, he was a genius on the pitch. He had great skills in that, but he was a, such an annoying player. Even in training, I, you could have kicked him up the arse a few times. He was that, you know, so annoying at times. But um, I can remember when Brian Deere was at the club and we were training at Deptford Park. And just before the end of training, I see Deary go up to Benny Fenton, obviously holding his thigh, saying that he's got something wrong, he'd best jog back to the ground. But during that morning, Eamon had nutmegged him about four times. So we see Brian Deere hobble off, go, and we're all still playing. When we finish training, we get back to the ground. Eamon comes flying back in after getting dressed in Abby's shower. Where's my bloody car? My car, it's gone. So 
we're all dumbfounded. Where, where? So we asked Roy, the groundsman, what's happened to you know, um, Eamon's car? He said, well, I heard the car revving up before. He said, round the back there. So we all went round the back at the Cold Blow Lane. And behind the goal, Deary had got his car and parked it up on the terraces behind the goal. Left his, <laughs> yeah, just left it there. That was, that, that was Brian Deere for you. Yeah, Brian Deere, quite a good pedigree, but didn't quite cut it at Millwall, no, did he? No, not at all. Um, to be honest with you, um, there's players you can take to and there's players that you can't, and he's one you can't. Uh, if you, really? ask, you, know, you ask other people's opinions, not just mine, but you just couldn't take to that lad. So how did you get the car down, by the way? Did he have to drive it down? Well, Roy, the groundsman, went to um, the local park they got a tractor to come in to come into the ground and tow it off. How they had, how they did it, I don't know, but that's what I was told. Yeah, we needed a smartphone, really, didn't you, to bloody yeah, film well, that? Well, and... Yeah, it, it would have been great to have seen. Yeah, I should imagine it would have done. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, though, years ago we a lot of those senior players had decent, what I would call decent cars. But I couldn't afford a decent car because I only just got into the side. So I bought my first car, which was a Morris Traveller. And I paid £100 for it. And I used to park the car around the corner by New Cross Hospital because I was quite ashamed to pull in the ground with it because it had lumps out of the back where the wood struts were. And I, I parked it round by New Cross one morning after training I've gone running round to go home and there's a coffer standing by my car because on the, in the window I had tax in post and, he, <laughs> and I walked up to him I said what's up governor he said is, is this your car I said yeah that, that, I've had to park it here I said I couldn't find another place he said, but you've got tax in post on it. I said, yes, I have. I said, I play for Millwall. And he said, I'm sorry, mate. It's your unlucky day. I'm a Crystal Palace supporter. And he gave me a, <laughs> he gave me a ticket there and then. Yeah, but did you get the, yeah, did you get the car off Purser? <laughs> I don't think he would have had that in the showroom, I'll tell you. I, if, you look, if, if you'd opened the car door at the front, and looked under the foot mat where your pedals were, you'd have seen the road. You yeah, want one that you're taking in part exchange? No, no, no oh. chance. Put it, dump it in the river. <laughs> yeah, well, it was that bad, was it? Yeah, it was. So what games for you stick out in that first season? Because we lost 1-0 at Hereford in the FA Cup and they were a non-league team back then, weren't they? Yes, they were. But, um, I mean, we missed so many chances that day. We, sh we should not have lost the game, but we just couldn't convert anything on the day. And they're the sort of days you do get the odd ones or two, you know. What can you do about it? So what games do stick out for you from that first season? Well, um, the Scunthorpe game, um, when we were... Oh, it was, couldn't have been seconds to go. And uh, Barry Rowan crossed the ball, and I bundled it over the line to get us a 2-2 draw. Um Jeff Burnage 
I don't mind if you don't mind me telling you this. Jeff Burnage, who was the chairman, always liked telling a little story. And one year I took um, my local vicar down to Millwall. And I did wonder what I'd let myself in for. Because when we got to the ground, Jeff met us and he turned around and said, oh, you're a guest for the day, George. It's nice to see you. And I said, well, this is my local vicar, Father Baker. And he shook hands with him. And then he started to tell him about the Scunthorpe game. He said, He's, I've got a little story about George. He said, on that day when we drew with Scunthorpe to keep us our unbeaten record going, the ball came across and he bundled it in with his knob. And he told the vicar that. <laughs> I, I, I felt crestfallen after that. <laughs> Yeah, because you can go back to the church again. No, after that I, oh, my, oh, I, didn't <laughs> I didn't take him back to Millwall, that's for sure. <laughs> because that was actually your first goal for the club, I think, wasn't it? it yes, it was, yeah. Um, so pleased because at the end of the day, it kept the run going. That was the main thing. And then very quickly, I think you followed it up a few days later with your second goal in the League Cup against York. Yep. Well, I can't, I can, all I can remember is the. Um, not so much the York game, but I can remember the Northampton game when we beat them 5-1 at the Den, which I managed to score a couple of goals that day as well. Which I think was a little bit later on. And actually, towards the... So, we go... At what point of that season did everybody think, we've got a chance of going up again? Um, I, th I think we thought that all along anyway. It, it was... It was Everything was going so well. Even when in situations where we may have been a goal down, we always, I, I, I'm sure I speak for everybody, or spoke for everybody at the time, we all thought we'd get back into this, win the game and carry on. That's how, that's how our mind was at the time. Our mentality was we were going to win every game. And I think we were there or thereabouts virtually the whole season, weren't we? I know that we led the league... For for large parts of it, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, uh, there were times along the road, obviously, that you're thinking this ain't going to be our day. But at the end of the day, certain people would pull out the stops. You know, we'd get a goal, nick a goal, and then go on and win the game. So it was uh, it was more or less generally thought that you know this could be our season. And what was the Mill crowd like to play in front of at that time? Um, well, uh, I I certainly know it took me a little while to, um, how can I say, win them over because they were unforgiving. I must admit that. But I'm thick skinned. Well, that's right. I'm thick skinned. I'm, I'm, I'm an East London boy, brought up in Poplar, and um, things didn't phase me after a while anyway. And I thought to myself, okay. They've given me some stick, quite rightly, but I'll prove them wrong. And hopefully, I, I think I did in the end. One game I would like to talk about that season was towards the end of it. And yeah. it was a London derby against QPR. Oh, right. Where the wheels came off slightly, didn't they? Yeah, I'm afraid they did, yeah. But, uh, big time, really. It was a game we went into oh, full of confidence. But uh, on the day... As I said earlier, the, the the odd games come up, and it just happens that you're never going to get anything out of it. And so be it. We, you know, it did come off big time. 
and we lost six one. And I we think uh, I think one or two of our lot went on the pitch to try and get the game abandoned. Yeah, but that uh, was never going to happen. But you know, it was, we you just had to take that with a pinch of salt at the end of the day. Dust yourself down and go out and do the you know try and win the next game. Get on with it. Your Billy Gray went on the loudspeaker, which I think played a part in him leaving the club, didn't it? Because yeah, it wasn't I, right between him and the board. No, that's right. Um, they, they, they had a couple of meetings, I do know. And eventually, Billy, uh, he came and told us one morning that um, that was it. He was he was off. It was a shame because he was such a... Um, he's quite a good coach, Billy. And some of the things he... You know, taught you what he wanted to teach you how to do things. He would never expect you to do what he couldn't do. He used to join in, and he, he was quite fit for a manager, Billy. He was quite a young manager, wasn't he? I think he, he was only in his late thirties, early forties, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But fit as a fiddle, and um, I quite admired him for what you know what he did and how he did it. Uh, he wouldn't expect you to do anything if he couldn't do it. That's for sure. What kind of manager, what kind of person was he? Um, uh, very difficult to say. He, he, was, he was all right, Billy. He understood certain things, but there were some things that you, you try and instill that, no, that's wrong, Billy. But he, would, he was a very strong, opinionated man, and he would keep to his... If he thought things were wrong and he was right in what he said, that had to be. We couldn't argue. Just yeah, do it his way. That was the way, I guess, it was with managers back then, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Because my first manager at Queen's Park Rangers was Alex Stock. And he was, you know, in his own mind, what he wanted to do, you had to abide what he wanted to do. You, you couldn't really throw any um, alternatives at him because he'd, he'd, he'd probably listen, but he, he wouldn't really take any notice of you. <laughs> And you, did you guys know that it wasn't right between Billy Gray and the board of directors? No, no, we we didn't know. Um, I think Billy, he was a bit of a. You asked me what type of person he was. He was quite private as well. Um, even after training and that, you know, if we shot off and went home, um, you wouldn't know. He, as I say, he's just a private man and he didn't really get involved with the players after the game anyway. And I think he announced at the start of that April that he was going to go at the end of the season. Yes. What were your thoughts on that? Because it because he led the club to promotion. He was about to lead them to another promotion. Yeah. Then all of a sudden the manager says, well, I'm off at the end of the season. You must have thought, what's going on here? Yeah, we did. Um, we were surprised, to be honest, because um, he seemed settled. He seemed really settled at Millwall. But something must have happened between him and the directors. Perhaps there were certain things along the way he wanted to do or wanted to introduce into the club, and the directors just said no. And so he thought to himself, well, if I can't get that, I'm off. You know, it, it's, that's what happens. Because they were quite tight, I guess, the directors. They still are, if you ask, well, yeah, if you ask some fans. <laughs> yeah, Purser, he wasn't ever one for putting his hand in his pocket, was he, unnecessarily? No, not at all. No, um, with Dave, with Mickey Purser, uh, what could I say? He, he used to come down to the ground, watch us train and things during the day. But um, 
another man that you couldn't really approach. Bill Nealon, you could. He was one of the directors. You could talk to Bill like I'm talking to you now. But with yeah. Mickey, Mickey Purser, you couldn't. I guess he thought he was the chairman and the chairman were above all of talking yeah. to a 19-year-old well, that's midfielder they, or utility man, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. They ruled the roost. So it's you didn't really get involved with them. But as I say, Bill Nealon did because he, I think he understood Millwall like a lot of um, people down at the den, they they, they did uh, realise what Millwall Club was like and Bill Nealon was fine with it, but with Purser, I just think that at the times he, he could have been, how can I say, more approaching, but he, it just wasn't to be. I've actually heard an interesting story about Mickey Purser. I don't know if you know anything about this. It was around about this time that the Richardsons almost bought uh, Millwall off him. Whew. Really? <laughs> I, that's something yeah. I, well, I didn't know that. I wouldn't have known that. I don't think anyone would have known at the club that time. Really? Right. Yeah, so... Well, I, put, it this, put it this way. I didn't hear anything about that. I've never that. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't blame you. I don't, I, uh, but that's just, an interesting side story. Well, just as well it wasn't the crazy, wasn't it? <laughs> so, did people like that hang around footballers? Um, yeah, well, at the time, or did you mix with people like that? We did more or less. We, if we went not so much down at Millwall, um, I did know that the pe people like Tommy Steele was a um, supporter of Millwall. Terry Downs, yeah. the box. Terry Downs, the boxer, and yeah, well, boxing was, trainer in the end, wasn't he? Frank yeah, Bruno's trainer. Yeah, well, at the end, of, we went to a do at the uh, Dorchester. We went a, a, an evening for Johnny Haynes, test, like a, not a testimonial, but a, a thing for Johnny Haynes, the ex-Fulham yeah. England. And we went there for a boxing evening. And during the fights, you know, everybody's, oh, I'm having a fiver on him and I'm having this and that. And um, all, all of a sudden, towards the end, it went a bit quiet when they were serving up the meal and that. And over the balcony at the Dorchester... Terry Downs poked his head over the balcony and he shouted out to me, Jaxie, get your ass up here. And I looked up, bloody old Downsy, why don't show us up like that, you know, shouting down over a balcony. Anyway, my connection with Terry Downs is I had a, um, a distant cousin, so Sammy McCarthy, used to be a boxer. Yep. And it, it yeah, was recently through... died, unfortunately. Didn't yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And through him... East End legend, absolutely. And that's how I, I got to know Terry a little bit. But, you know. That's so, it. what that... did he want, by the way? All he wanted to know was, could he have a couple of tickets for Saturday? <laughs> that's all so he wants. He, he, so he's about to go in for a fight. Yeah. And, and the he, only thing on his mind was a couple, was a couple of, tickets of tickets for Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. And absolutely. and and did you get him a couple of tickets for Saturday? Oh, yes, I did. Yep. And did he win? We won on the Saturday. Yeah. yeah, no, did he win the fight? Oh, he won his fight that night, yes. Yeah. Oh, that that's good, all right then. That was that was a good card actually. And Johnny Prescott was on there, ex boxer. Um, oh, I've got actually. I've got the um, card. Still got the card that, that on that evening. 
So Billy Gray, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, we digress and we go on to boxing. <laughs> well, we digress. So we go back onto it. Billy Gray announced he's going to stay until the end of the season. Yeah. And then Ken Jones scores in a 1-0 win over Swansea that secured promotion. Yes. And he announced he's leaving immediately. Yeah. It what was... was all that about? Well, this is it. Even to this day, I don't know. It was such a shock that, I, you know, we got promotion and he, he, he said, We've got, I'm off, I'm going. Yeah, did the players get any indication that as soon as promotion was secured, he was off or did it just come as a shock? It, to you. It, it came as a shock, Neil, to us all. Um, he, he hadn't given us any inclination that that was going to happen. He seemed happy. As I say, he seemed settled at Millwall. But for some reason, obviously, whether I don't know whether somebody has spoken to him that there's a job going somewhere else down the line. I don't know. But that was it. You know, he came in and told us that he was off and that it was done and dusted. Because I think conveniently, within a week, he'd signed for Brentford and turned yeah. down QPR and Mansfield. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. They're so, you know, you can read between the lines, you know, it's up to you. But that's how it was. Do you think that costs us the title? Because obviously... You, what, his, mind, his mind might have been on other things. Yeah, and then he suddenly quit as soon as promotion had been secured. and Yeah, quite possible. Quite possible that happened. Were you lot quite bitter or quite upset that he'd gone and he hadn't seen the job completely through? Um, I think the older players were the ones that were upset more. Not so much at myself um, and a couple of others because um, they'd, been, they'd been around with Billy for a while, a lot longer than we had, and they were just shocked that, that he'd gone. Brian Snowden... I can remember him saying, well, I can't believe that. that he, he's got us promotion and now he's gone. And that's how, you know, as I say, the older players, they thought it was a shame that he'd left. But to the likes of us, we thought well, if we're going to get a new manager, I wonder who it's going to be. Which leads us quite nicely onto the fact that Benny Fenton walked in through the door. Yeah, Mr. What Fenton. was Benny like? Uh, strange man. Um, yeah. uh, you you wouldn't look at him and think he was a football manager, no way. Uh, with him, there was uh, how can I say? It it put things across to you, but in such a mild mannered way. He was he was not an angry person when he was trying to tell you. You know, if you'd done something wrong on the pitch and he called you over to uh, after the game, he'd say to you, you know just say to you gently in his own voice how he felt you played and what he wanted you to do. He would never rant and rave, anything like that. Such a gentle, just a gentle man, really, the way he used to speak. And did it work with the players? Because sometimes players need a G up, don't they? Oh, yeah, but you were, you always had Jack Blackman and people like that. For the, to, Oh, Jack was such a hard nut. He really was. He, 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 some of the things that he used to do and say, uh, you, you just think to yourself, crikey, you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him, which one, pl one player did a few years, and that was Brian Deere again. I don't know if you know the story. No, go on, tell us the story. Go on. Well, I'll tell you a quick story. 
he again Brian Deere, we were training one morning and he decided that he'd go he, he had a, a sore leg so so back he went to the ground and we after training we followed him back there and when we walked in he's powder in his backside so we want you know we're all thinking what's wrong with him so he's powdered his backside and he said to jack blackman jack he said i better come back from training early he said i've got a boil up my ass and they said what so jack jack said bend over that table let's have a look well when he bent down he farted in his face and the powder came out of there like smoke signals and Jack, <laughs> I, I, I've never seen Brian Deere move so fast. Jack chased him all over the place, and he even threw cups at him. He, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, but I guess that was one of the only times anybody did that to Jack Blackman. Well, I, I don't know. The, whoever, you know, whoever knew Jack, he was such a, um, a decent man, but hard as nails. Yeah, because I think he he was somebody that had been around Millwall for quite a long time as well, wasn't he? Yes, he'd done he'd done his fair share. Um, all I can, I mean, he was there long before I went there, so I don't know how many years he actually achieved at Millwall, but he must have done a fair few. So Benny Fenton came in. Yes. Yeah, the nice guy, Jack Blackman, and people like that are his. Uh, yeah, the other side of him, the hard men, if you like. Yeah. And it brings us on to, um, we don't quite win the title, but I guess, were people disappointed not to win the title or were we just pleased just to go up? No, I, I think, well, from the players' point of view, we were disappointed we didn't win the title um, because that's that's your game, you know, your overall challenge. But um, I don't know about supporters. I think they were, they were pleased that we just got, you know, managed to get promotion, which was something different. At least we'd be into a, a new division the following year and um, we'd, we'd go on from there, hopefully. But that's why we thought that Billy Gray would stay and take us in on again to a, another division. But as I say, off he went. Do you think we could have taken that next step had Billy Gray stayed? We, yes, without a doubt. Picture this, you're fully immersed in your podcast because in the back of your mind, you're not trying to recall when that deadline was supposed to be or stressing to keep everyone updated on next steps. MeetMonday.com, a work management platform that makes having peace of mind easy. With Monday.com, all your work lives in one centralized place. You can automate updates to keep team members up to speed and ensure nothing falls through the cracks, even while you're enjoying your favorite podcast. To start your 14-day free trial, go to Monday.com. On August 25th, I'm the most brutal, vicious, ruthless champion that's ever been. The most anticipated original series is here. You may know Tyson. You're the heavyweight champion of the world, young, rich, and black. But do you know Mike? The minute you get too big, they gotta cut you down. Starring Trevante Rhodes. I'm I am Mike. And Harvey Keitel. They'll love you as much as they fear you. Now I'm really going to have some fun. Mike, series premiere August 25th, only on Hulu. Without a doubt, because I had the same feeling years later at, when I was at Gillingham. When Andy Nelson left us, I thought if it had stayed for another year after we'd got promotion, 
we'd have done the bounce like twice. We'd have got a promote because the footing was there, the camaraderie was there. Maybe he wasn't going to be given the resources or or what he needed to take us up that next step. That, that's quite possible. I mean, I at boardroom level, you never know. You never know what, how they're thinking. Um, obviously, you would think you, they'd buy out, get another couple of players or that to boost the squad. But at the end of the day, uh, as you say, um, whether they were thinking of something else, I don't know. It's just a shame that we didn't you know, continue with Billy Gray for a little while longer. But he had made up his mind and obviously somewhere along the line he'd had words with other clubs and that was it. That's just the way it was back then, wasn't it? I guess. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So 66-67 season, that wasn't a great one for you. I think you did you pick up an injury or pick up a couple of injuries and Yeah. Yeah, only like I had a, an 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 problem with my ankle and um I had a knee injury, but other than that, I just generally, I thought myself, I've, you know, I've gone off the boil a bit and I had to just regroup myself and get back on, get back into the way I used to play. And um, I was more determined than ever to get back in the side. Because you missed some big games that season. Yeah, I think you missed both the Tottenham FA Cup ties, didn't you? Yeah, we, a big, big disappointment really for myself because I'd like to you know, given a chance to play against a, a Tottenham side. But uh, it was just, you know, one of those things. It happens in football. You pick up injuries and you just can't get, do yourself justice if you went out on the pitch anyway. And that was a top, top Tottenham team, wasn't it? I think Venables, oh, yeah. Greaves, Gil he was in it. Gilzine. Oh, tremendous side. So, you know, it, it was something I sorely missed, really. And also that season, another game you missed was a home game against Plymouth Argyle where our 59-game unbeaten home run yeah. came to an end. That, and I've that spoken was... to Plymouth players, obviously, because I'm a journalist. I've spoken to them. And yeah. uh, that was quite an afternoon down the den, wasn't it? Probably one of the more memorable ones at the time. It, it was. I was actually... I watched that from the terraces that day. With my Actually, my wife came to that game as well. And um, we lost 2-1. And the goalkeeper for Plymouth was Peter Shearing. And he used to be, when I went to Gillingham, he became a, one of my coaches there. But getting back to the game, losing it 2-1 that day, um, I'd been injured. I wasn't in the side. I was so disappointed for the lads that they'd lost, you know, 2-1. So when my wife and I left the den, we went to our car at the Cold Blow Lane end, got into it, and um, not long after the game had finished, but as we pulled out the car park, some of the supporters recognised who I was and they started rocking our car backwards and forwards. And my wife was quite, you know, she was saying to me, oh, please get us out of here, out of the way. Yeah, some of the supporters really took it upon themselves, you know, even though I didn't play in the game, to do that type of thing. Yeah, we didn't go down well, that defeat, I think, because I think we thought we were invincible at home and we were invincible at home. Well, that's right. You, it, it gets to the point where you think nobody can beat us and, unfortunately, we we got beat that day and sometimes you just got to think, hold your hand up and say, fair, fair dues, we didn't play as well as we should have done and that's it. 
And then there was a bit of a changing of the guard around about that time, wasn't there? A lot of the older players went out and 67-68 was was quite a changing season for the club. I think Barry Kitchener and Brian King emerged. Yes. Keith Weller and Derek Posse came in. Yes. As well. Yep. So... You could see that we were trying to improve things, weren't we, and trying to make that step forward. Yes, we're a better quality of players, I agree. Um, as far as a couple of players you mentioned there, Keith Weller was the best player that I'd ever played with, without a doubt. Um, Derek Posse is uh, oppo from Tottenham. He was quick, Derek, very fast one of the fastest players I've ever seen. And he's finishing sometimes, belittled a good striker. He was, he was a good finisher, Derek. But um, as I say, Keith had the all-round right, all game. He was such a good player. Quite rightly, is revered even to this day, as he's, yeah, I think all four of those lads are really, aren't they? Yeah. You mention, you certainly mention... And Barry Kitchener, when he died, it was like yeah, it was like a national mourning down at Millwall. It was, that day. yeah. Um, Kitchener and I used to travel with Harry Cripps and Dennis Burnett up to Millwall from Dagenham. We all lived around Dagenham area, and um, Kitch was never without a cigarette behind his ear. That's for sure. But uh, <laughs> but what a player! What a player! I think, he, personally, I think he should have had one at least one England cap, without a doubt. Was that because he was a Millwall player? No, not necessarily. Um, I just thought he, he could have played in a higher high, um, high grade of football. Without, you know, if he'd have gone to one of the first division clubs, he would never have let you down, Kitch. He was such, he was an awesome lad, really was. Why don't you think he went to a first division club? Because he was obviously good enough. Yeah. Just um, blind I, loyalty, just pure yeah, loyalty to Millwall. That's what I honestly believe that, yeah. there were. I mean, when you think years ago, players didn't bounce about clubs like they do these days. That like a lot of, You get a lot of journeymen these days. I mean, I, was, I had seven years at Millwall. I'd have stayed longer if I could have done. I... I it, when you play for a club like Millwall, they're, they're, they're such a, a welcoming. They, and they look after you. And at the end of the day, Barry, I thought, in his own mind, he must have thought, look, if I go elsewhere, I may get, not get the accolades that I'm getting here and I'm settled, so why, you know, why move? And I'm glad he didn't. Yeah, well, we're glad he didn't because obviously he played, what, 700 games for the club. Yeah, I, I can't see that ever. I can't see that being beaten myself. Not now, <laughs> not this day and age. Give us a couple of kick stories. What are your favourite kick stories? Kit. Kick Kitch. stories. Kick Kitch. stories. Well, there was. He had, a, to be honest with you, he's six foot three and. He used to have a little mini that he drove for a big for a big lad to have a mini, and he's he's driving it. His knees used to be up under his chin, but um, not only that, Kitch. 
well, I used to roommate with him when we travelled away. And when we given our allocation for the bedrooms in the hotel, one year, um, the certain game we played, we went into the hotel bedroom and he looked at the bed, Kitch, and he said, that's not big enough for me. Well, it, it weren't. It was quite a short bed, so... But he, he stuck with it. Um, he slept there that night. But at the end of the day, when you look at a kitchen that bed, his feet were hanging. Out. It must have been a foot over the bed itself, where they were <laughs> sticking out at the end of the blanket. And Brian King's another one, obviously. Yeah, well, we've had Brian King. He's a good friend of the show. He And his book is probably one of the best football books I've read for a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, I read, what, I read it over. I read it over Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think, I think we got sent a copy, and uh, I think I, I think I read it in about a day and a half. It was yeah. just one of those that you just, yeah, you just read it and you just wanted to read more. Yeah, that's right. You just kept on. What kind of character was he? Uh, could be a joker. Uh, he used to play pranks on you quite a bit. Um, as I say, he came. He lived in Chelmsford um, when he came to us from Chelmsford City. Um, with Brian, you is we, you get what you get with Brian. And um, as I say, he, he he's such a good goalkeeper. Jokes all the time, and you just just you know, somebody you just had to like. You know, you just had to like him. Do you remember the... Do you remember the tube incident? Did he come in and tell you about when he drove the tube? Did he tell you about that at the time? Him and Bobby Hunt? No. mentioned in his book? No. The first time I knew about it was when I read it in the book. And to be honest, if you read it, you, you, you think, no, that never happened, surely. But obviously it did. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so Do he I... didn't come into training and say no, anything? No, not at all. But to drive a tube train, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was a boy's own thing, that, wasn't it? Oh, I think, every, I think oh. every young lad in London wanted to be a tube driver. Yeah, I think you're right there. So what games stick out from that kind of era for you? Well, we... I can remember we played at Cardiff, Ninian Park. He had, he saved us that day, Brian, because um, Benny had told me and Barry Kitch, you take, to I mean, Toshak, six foot four. Benny asked me to man-mark him. And Kitch took, Kitch took Brian Harris, the centre forward. It was nil-nil at half-time and Kingy had kept us in the game. Unbelievable saves he made. And I said to Kitch at lunch after we'd went, gone off for a half time, I said, this isn't working. I said, they're getting in behind us. And Kitch agreed. He said, well, whatever Benny says, shall, shall we swap? You take Harris and I'll take Toshak. Which was more reasonable when you think how tall Kitch was and how tall Toshak was. He should have taken him. So we switched at half time and we, we, ended, we ended up through Kingy saving us in the first half, winning 2-0. Because you were actually known, I've, I've got it amongst my notes, that you were known as a man-marker, weren't you? Yeah, they used, they used to call me the shadow because of the things I did with the players. 
But I did, I did play against some really good players, strikers, and um, to keep them quiet and not let them get a kick was uh, a feather in my cap at times, what I was asked to do, and I carried it out to a tee. Yeah, but I was going to ask, you, you played against Toshak. Who else did you play against? Kev, Kevin Hector, uh, Alan Clark, Tony Curry, um, Willie, Willie Carlin. They were, I mean, they were all established players and good players. And Rodney Marsh. And they were, they were the type of players I, I was asked to, you know, man-mark and keep them quiet. And um, it worked for the, you know, for the team. Was that a role that you relished? Um, I'd like to have been able to express myself more, but to do a job for the team, if, you, if you're doing that and it's helping us to get the wins and you know carry on the way we were going, I was happy to do it. Um, the thing is, that I watched a West Ham game against Aston Villa on the um, Sky Sports about three weeks ago when they beat Aston Villa 3-1. And Kufal of West Ham, man marked um, Grealish. And I thought, well, yeah, that's the sort of thing I used to do years ago. And, and it worked. It worked for West Ham. So, and it certainly worked for Millwall when I was you know, doing that sort of job. And I think you were appreciated for that role, certainly amongst the older generation of fans. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, each time I go back to Millwall, People still keep coming up to me and patting me on the back and saying, you, you know, the jobs you did in those days, it, you know, we're grateful. And I, I can't believe that so many people still keep coming up and saying that type of thing. It must be quite nice because because we're talking about an era 50-odd years ago, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, it, and it's hard to remember a lot of the stuff. I mean, I, I, there's certain games, if you mention, that I wouldn't be able to remember. But... Um, there's just certain ones that you can remember and you can certainly remember different people of that era as well. What other games do you remember from that era that we haven't spoken about? Um, we When we played it, we went to Norwich in our promotion, well, our, our attempted promotion year where we lost out to a point to Birmingham. We went to uh, Carrow Road and we won away 3-0. And Norwich were up there at the time I think they were second or third, mm -hmm. and we t we turned them over three nil at Norwich. That was one of the games I remember. Um, but as I say, there are bits and pieces of other games that I remember, but nothing substantial. Was that Norwich game? I think I'm right in saying that game was where Cripps broke the appearance record, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And um, I was reading a cutting of that earlier on when I was researching. Right. And his bloodstained shirt. You were the substitute that day, weren't you? I was, yeah. It came on. I, I mean, I think when he, he came off and I went on, we were, it was nil-nil at the time, but we ended up winning three-nil. And I think Gordon Bolland scored that day as well. Yeah, very, very, very good player, Gordon he, Bolland, wasn't he? he? Very underrated. Very underrated. Yeah, he was a good player. Some, yeah, yeah, but as you say, doesn't quite get the plaudits. No, uh, that he uh, deserves. That's right. And when you look back over the years, um, there's there's lots of players that didn't get the plaudits. Everybody likes to see the person up front knocking the goals in, but sometimes I think they tend to forget what other players are doing on the pitch. 
to make it happen. Yeah, and you were one of those players, weren't you? You were the well, man that man-marked people and... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I didn't want to say that, that you know, that in, in, in that way, but that, that's how it was. I, I accepted that. You know, as long as I was doing a good job for the team and for Millwall Football Club, I was satisfied. I wanted to talk about that 71-72 season because you didn't play a game, unbelievably. No. Did you? I... you but, but you were a substitute quite a lot. Yeah, and after, and after that, don't get me wrong, Alan Dorney, who took my place in the Millwall side at the time, he, he came up trumps, Alan. He played very well, deserved to hold his place down. But I, at the time, I thought, well, if this goes on too much longer, just being substitute, I, I like to play my football. And I'd, ra- I'd rather go and play elsewhere if I'm not going to, you know, get in the first team. I didn't want to just languish in the reserves and my career just peter out. So um, good luck to Alan. He did, he did the job when he got in there and he held his place down. And I've no grumbles about that. And I just thought I wanted to go and play proper, you know, in the first team somewhere else. Because that was quite a frustrating season all round, I think, wasn't it? We missed out by, what, goal difference, a point, yeah. something like that. One point, You couldn't yeah. get in the team. No. Was there a feeling that we should have got promotion that season? I think that Kingy thinks we should, definitely should have done. Well, I do. Uh, you know, in some of the games where we we sh- we should have won, we just got the the draw, and it just done us in the end. Uh, it just happened, um, but it was such a disappointment. Even though I wasn't in the team at the time, you know, it was a disappointment for us all looking on anyway. You know, because you you expect going all season and to lose at the last hurdle is unbelievable. Because you'd have been one of the senior players by then, wouldn't you? Because you'd been around for six, seven years. You were in your mid-twenties. And... Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, um, Neil, even though I wasn't in the team, I still felt that I had my best years to come. I mean, I think I was 27. And I thought to myself, well, I don't want to languish in the reserves and just peter out. If I could go elsewhere and achieve something, it would be nice. So when I spoke to Benny about not being in the team and I'd rather move on, he he quite he said, "Fair enough. Um, hopefully you can get a club and to take you." And so I went to Gillingham, and it was either that or Brighton. And I had I went down to Brighton first of all. Pat Saywood was the manager there, and um, former some, Millwall player. Yeah. Yeah, former Millwall player. And my hair, I looked like Wurzel Gummidge at the time because everybody, everybody had long hair. And when I, went down to, when I went down to see him and talk terms with my wife, we walked into his office. Before I even sat down, he turned around and said, you can get that lot off for a start. So really, we got off on the wrong foot there. And um, I left there, went, went to Gillingham to interview at Gillingham with Andy Nelson and Dr Grossmar, who was the chairman. And so different. They spoke about how they wanted to do things, how we wanted to go. And so I signed for them. And within a year, we've got promotion from the fourth to the third. 
you were God knows what Pat Sayward would have made a Gordon Bollands there. Oh, I know. <laughs> that was worse than yours, wasn't oh, oh, it? Well, it was. I mean, it was all bubbles, is here, wasn't it? <laughs> would you have been tempted to have stayed at Millwall if we had been promoted to the first division just to have done a season in the first division? Without a doubt. I didn't really want to leave Millwall, but it, it happened. But it, I would have done, yeah. I think I would have done to try and fight the way back. Yeah, because then at least you could have said that I played in the first division at Millwall, or or I played in the first division full stop. Yeah, that's that's true. Yes, I mean the sixty eight sixty nine season, I was given the uh, Millwall supporters um, player of the year, and I shortly after that, as I say, I got injured. And Alan took over, but I, I thought at the time I was, you know, being pushed out a little bit by Benny anyway. So I just wanted to, I wanted to just play football in the first team. Yeah, well, I guess that managers have their ideas. Yes, he's, was... bought, he's bought in Alan Dorney, who's doing a job for him. Exactly right, and they've they've got their own mind what they want to do, and I could see that, and that's why I thought, you know, I. I as much as I, I love Millwall, why would I want to just peter out in the reserves? Not at my age, at that time, 27. Because, as I said earlier on, I was doing a little bit of research and you had some interest in that 71-72 season from Ron Gray, who was, uh, who was actually one of our managers in the late 50s, early 60s. And by that time, he was at Ipswich. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So we did have quite a lot of interest, didn't you, across that season? Yeah, um, I know. Apart from Brighton and Gillingham, and as you say, Ipswich, um, I think I was linked with Charlton at one time, but I would never have gone there. Millwall. Yeah, Millwall. no, well, we wouldn't. Yeah, but we don't send our worst enemies down there, really, do we? <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with that tiny little outfit. Actually, funnily enough, well. Well, as we've spoken about them, I want to quickly touch upon a game. I think, was it the first game of the season when we, or very early one season, when we had a 4-3 game against them? We beat against, them 4-3. Yeah, that was at the Valley. Yeah. And that there, uh, Ray Tracy was up front for them there. Um, and they, they had quite a good side. Charlton at the time, but we did beat them 4-3, yeah. What were games like against Charlton and Crystal Palace? Oh, well, more or less similar. They, they were very um, hard-fought, well-contested games. Um, no quarter given. I mean, I played at Palace when we drew two all, and Johnny, I had to mark Johnny Byrne that day, the ex-England player, and uh, Budgie Byrne. And, You're both uh, going former West Ham. Yeah, and Brian Conlon and I got our goals on that day. We'd just signed Brian Conlon from up north, and um, we we ended up getting a draw at the Palace, two-two. But they were all well, always well contested games, and there there was a bit of rivalry as well. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, but they like to go on about Brighton being their rivals. Christ knows why. Oh. It's miles away from anywhere. Absolutely. But traditionally, Millwall have been their their rivals, haven't we? Yeah, um, we have. Um, 
the thing with Charlton, they it's like a friend of mine now he, who supports Charlton through and through from, from when he was a kiddie. He tells me every day, um, we'll never get back into the second or the first division. He said the way, you know, they treat players down there. So whether that is with um, Charlton, that's always been the case, I don't know. But all I know is when I was at Millwall, they treated you fairly. They really did. Yeah, well, tell your friend that Charlton are a club that have spent their entire history in the shadow of Millwall. Yeah, That'll go well, down really well with him. I, I think he, I think he knows that already. <laughs> the, the minute he, he I, when the minute he mentions Charlton, I say Charlton who? <laughs> Charlton pathetic. I think yeah. aren't they known yeah. as? Yeah, yeah, not athletic, pathetic. So were those the main two rivals at the time for Millwall? Uh, I would say so, yes, without a doubt. Yeah, they were the, our closest rivals because the likes of Chelsea, like you mentioned, West Ham, we never ever came across them teams during that day, during those days. I guess the only time you would have come across West Ham would have been at Harry Cripps' testimonial. Well, yeah, that, that <laughs> alone, or if you were drawn in the FA Cup against them, something like that. Did you play in Cripps' testimonial? I did, yeah. What was that like as an evening? Oh, it was good. I mean, it, it was all done um, as a... I mean, it, there weren't any tackles flying in and that. It was just a, a gentle run-out, really. Yeah, but it was all happening off the pitch. That's why. Oh, they couldn't have a war on it, could No, they? no, that's very true. No, we couldn't have a war. There'd been no, nobody left in the ground otherwise. <laughs> was, it a, was it a hostile game to play in um, from the terraces and were you aware of how much it meant to people oh, that game I, absolutely you, you know you get the vibes you know what's going on you know what people are expecting and you obviously you go out and try and do what you want to do but um, as I say you, you know you got vibes from the supporters the way they you know chanted and things like that like they, what they wanted you to do so um, leaving, leaving Kill, them. I think, would have been the main one, wouldn't it? Main, anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, actually, there was a player that I've just made a very brief note of around about that time. Because I think our first coloured player, a guy called Frank Peterson. Frank Peterson, yes. So I remember Frankie, yes, very much. He's, he had his first game at Portsmouth with us. What kind of character was he? Because he was quite a colourful guy off the pitch, wasn't he? Yeah, but he he was quiet on it. That's the trouble, Neil. He was he was off, he's colourful off the pitch, but like during the game, he he wasn't um, a loud mouth lad at all. You know, he just took things into his stride a little bit. But um, I can, as I say, the first, I can remember him coming into the team at. Portsmouth, and he did okay. He did okay for the for his debut. I thought he was very, you know, good on the day. But at the end of the day, um, with Frankie, he was he was another lad. He was law to himself, really. One of those people. Yeah, but I guess you had players like that back then. It was kind of mavericks, weren't they? Maverick type figures. Yeah, they they wanted to do what they wanted to do, and they wouldn't really listen to anybody else. So. You know that that type of person, you you either you know you stick with them or 
you don't. It's one, you know, it's up to the manager, really. What other ma- kind of maverick figures in Mill will have around about that time? Um, I'm just, I'm just trying to think. Uh, other players, I honestly can't tell you at the moment, Neil. What uh, other players that, that I can remember? Not the guy I know quite well came in around about that time was Derek Smithhurst. Oh, another, he was a quiet lad. You'd think he was a churchgoer. He is. Oh, well, there, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but he's a born-again Christian these yeah, days well, in oh, Florida. Well, that was my summing up of him. He was, he was a strange lad. Not, not, some, not somebody who mixed very well. Yeah, which probably didn't go down well as a footballer back no, then. No, no. Well, I guess you all mixed. Of course. Saturday evenings, I guess, were either in the players' bar, then down the local pub, and then... Yeah, that's right. I mean, with the likes of Harry Cripps, Dennis Burnett and that, where we, we all lived in Dagenham, we'd probably go and play a game of tennis over the tennis courts. We always used to see one another, regardless of the football. No, no, that is something I would like to have seen. Harry Cripps play tennis. Well, he, he, he could hit a mean ball, Harry, I tell you. <laughs> Harry, so, Harry, if anything, if there was a round object anywhere, Harry would be there. Yeah, yeah but I guess he was quite deadly with a racket in his hand, was he? Well, well he, I mean, he, we used to play at Peak Freens, where we used to train on the, in the summer for our pre-season. And we used to go over to the local Dutch house for our meals. And we always, after our meal, we always get, um, Benny used to give us an hour for, for the meal to go down. But we'd go straight back over to the tennis courts without, you know, digesting your food and go in, start playing tennis. <laughs> so we were never, we were never still, really. We was always on the go. So your time at Millwall's come to an end eventually. Yes. Andy Nelson, former Millwall assistant manager, signed yep. you, as we, as we mentioned. Yeah. Then one of your early games was a League Cup tie against Millwall, which we won 2-0, which was a bit unfortunate for you. And uh, yeah. I think Doug Older and, God bless his soul, Alfie Wood scored. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, that was, I don't know, was that the League Cup? Yes, it was, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember small uh, things about that, but nothing outstanding. But, yeah, I remember Woody scoring, definitely. Yeah, we didn't have to mark him that day, did you? No, no, I was in a completely different role at Gillingham. I was just a midfield player, like with Dick Tideman, who used to play for Charlton. We were the midfield players at Gillingham at the time, and I just had a normal... Uh, midfield role. So what was it like to play against Millwall after being there for six, seven, eight years? I hated it. I just I just couldn't, you know, when we played them, I, I couldn't stomach playing against an old, you know, my old club, really. Although I did score against them at the Den. You know, I don't know... What, I didn't want to bring that up, but that was in November 1976. Yeah. You scored the first goal in a 2-2 draw. That's correct, yeah. And the I, the goalkeeper, you, your goalkeeper at the time, Godfrey, I, I can't remember who, who the Goddard. goalkeeper. Goddard. Goddard. 
That's it. Yeah, Goddard. Ray Goddard, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I, it's unusual for me because normally I couldn't hit a twenty-five yard pass, but I scored from twenty-five yards. Yeah, but did you miss it? It. Well, you might call it that, but I, I certainly knew I caught, got hold of it when I hit it. Yeah, from your point of view, you hit it as sweet as a nut, didn't you? Absolutely. But I, I did regret it. <laughs> <laughs> what were the crowd like after you slam one in from 25 yards? And I did, all I did afterwards, we just uh, got on the coach and went home. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a lie. Um, after we'd drawn to all, we'd gone back into the tea room there at the Cold Blow Lane end, and we were having a cup of tea and that and chatting away because all my old colleagues were at Millwall still. And uh, they come up and said, well, the coach is leaving. Are you coming? And we said, well, no, we're just having a quick chat. We'll be down in a minute. They went off without us. To a, I was left there with um, Dave. Remember Dave Coxell? Yes. Who played for Millwall. Yeah. Well, we, we were left there chatting. And Gillingham, drove, they, the manager, Andy, said, no, we're not waiting. We're off. And they, they left us there at Millwall. Yeah, it was quite a nice thing for him to do. Well, right? it, it was, but at the end of the day, I think we were a little bit out of order by trying to hold on and wait there for a little while longer. But we we got back anyway, so it wasn't a great deal. So what did you do? Did you get the train home? And... Tra- train home. <laughs> Three hours after we should have got back. <laughs> yeah, you have to explain that to the missus. Oh, oh she understood. She understood. She's uh, quite good at that, listening. Because you'd actually won a promotion, I think, in between all of that at Gillingham, I think you yeah. probably actually yeah. remember as being one of Gillingham's best ever seasons. Yeah, and uh, again, uh, I got player of the year that year at Gillingham. Um, we missed out by a, a point again against Peterborough. Um, but we, we played Peterborough away with one of the, our last games of the season, and it was really a six-pointer. If we'd have won that, we'd have won the league. But we went down two one, and we we were personally, I think we was wrong done wrongly uh, by the referee that day. A couple of penalty appeals, which should have been penalties, we didn't get them. What were the referees like when you were playing for Millwall? Because we always have got a chip on our shoulder, if you like, that we never get a decent referee. Was it? Yeah, was it like that back then? Well, I'll tell you something, Neil. They did speak to you years ago. You know, you could talk to the referee. He would, if you got in a tackle, you could hear like the likes of. Um, I, oh, I'm trying to think of his name. Um, the Welsh referee, Thomas Clive Thomas. Thomas, and he used. You know, if you're in a game and you got a good tackle in, he'd come alongside you and say, "That was a good tackle, George boy. Good tackle." And, you know, you'd think, oh, you know, you realise that you were doing the right thing and, and they were into the game with you. You would, you would, they would never um, really nasty, um, dis, you know, they wouldn't go say to you, you, you shouldn't have done that. But they used to encourage you. So, you know, I just thought, great. And, of course, there was, there was the famous incident with Norman Burton, sure, and... Oh, yes, I, I know. There's a lot said about that, but oh, at the end of the day, he he was one of the referees that I personally didn't like. 
what do you remember about the incident? Not a lot. No, I can't. I couldn't. I couldn't reflect on it, Neil. I don't remember much about it, to be honest. But what was he like as a referee? Was he just one of those people I've, that you couldn't take to, as you said? Well, for want of a better word, I thought he was crap. <laughs> yeah, but he could. Yeah, yeah, but he could referee these days, then, couldn't he? Let's face it. Well, some of the referees today they leave a lot to be desired. I think. You know, they just, I don't think they understand football, a lot of them. And then, obviously, your time at Gillingham comes to an end, but you play on for quite some, for quite a number yeah. of years in the non-league game, didn't you? Graves yeah. Park in Canterbury City. Yeah, that's right. Um, I went to, I went to uh, Gravesend and Northley. I was there for nearly five years. I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Um, as I say, we had quite good success there. We won the Southern League Cup. Um, we'd done well in the league. And uh, eventually, I, when I left Can uh, Gravesend, I got a phone call from Mr. Harry Cripps, who was manager of Barking at the time. And out of the blue, he said, George, he says, I need an experienced midfield player to come and play for Barking because we've got a lot of youngsters. And at the time, I, I was really thinking of giving up the football altogether. And he said, just give me one season. He said, I've got Peter Hunt here, who used to play for Charlton. He said, you and him in the midfield, you know, would help us to establish ourselves in the Ishmael League. So I signed up for one year. And uh, then after that, I went on to Canterbury, and that's where I finished my playing days at 39. So what was Harry Cripps like as a manager? I can't imagine Cripps. Uh, no, well, you've said it. it. I'll tell you something now. Peter Hunt and myself, we played on a game-to-game -game basis. So if you had two games a week, say, for instance, we were on £60 a game. Whenever we got our wage packet, it was always loose, the top of it. And... What I know now is when Harry was there as manager, he turned around and said to the chairman, I've got Georgie Jacks coming and Peter Hunt. They want £70 a game. Knowing full well, he'd agreed to us to have £60 and he would take the odd tenner out of our wage packet. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was regular on a Thursday night. So what was Harry like to play with at non-league? I guess the... Because, well, I, because I that was quite brutal. Well, I didn't play. He didn't play. He was just manager. He didn't play for Barnes. Yeah, he just managed then, did he? Yeah, he, he was just the manager. And uh, it was all right. You know, with Harry, you give as, give as good as you get and he's satisfied. Because I guess that was when Barking played just opposite the station, wasn't it? I think it's now a shopping centre. It's a shopping centre now, yeah. Yeah, it's all changed. All changed now. And and then I think you were working as a rep and then you became a printer, didn't you, for about 30-odd years before you retired? Yeah, that's right. I, I went there I during the, my time at Gravesend. I took um, uh, a job at the Kent Messenger, which was a publishing firm here in Kent. And for a while, I was a van driver, just delivering certain papers and that, and playing football for Gravesend. So I was getting two wages, but at the end of the day, um, when I'd finished, 
that um, a friend of mine got me a job and said to me that, you know, you can have this job as a van driver. So I did it for about three years. And then we had a strike at the Kemp Messenger. All the printers went out. They locked them outside and they started to recruit within to train people up to be a printer. And because it was a lot more money, I decided, you know, I'd, I'd go for it. And I went into the print. And I was, as you say, I was there for 32 years. Did you earn more as a printer than as a professional footballer? Because I can't imagine Millwall played, paid very well. Back no, then. I, I, did, I did earn more as a printer. But what people, what people forget, when I played for Millwall, and I'm sure, I don't know how many other players did it, but you only got paid during the playing season. You had a retainer in the, uh, um, during the break. Like, during the summer break, you used to get um, a retainer of, say, £20 a week. You never had the full wage that you got when you were playing in the winter in that time. And, that, and then I had to go and go to, uh, up in London, I used to go to um, a recruitment centre for jobs. And I, I did scaffolding, I did um, oh, loads of other things, odd jobs and that, just to keep your money going. So Millwall didn't pay me fully all through the year. Yeah, well, some people won't be surprised that Purser didn't pay, pay people properly. Well, that's yeah. There you go. That's another. That's another story. Yeah, but he was too busy paying for his windows that used to yeah, get. Well, yeah, yeah, we left. Yeah, we yeah he, he had a few windows knocked out. I agree. It must have been quite strange for people, because you must have come across Millwall fans in the summer. Well, you, you do. You, you. I probably worked alongside one or two of them. You know, when you're going to these uh, recruitment centres and getting the odd job just to f make up your money throughout the year, I probably did come across a couple of uh, Millwall supporters, but no, I, I can't really recall anything like that, but probably had worked alongside of some of them. Must have been quite strange, a professional footballer for nine months of the year. Yeah. And then for a couple of months, you had to go and find something else to do. That's, that's what I say, you know, um, it... To be honest with you, Neil, it was an incentive. I had a young, you know, uh, young wife, and we lived in a, a flat while we was at Millwall. We never, we didn't get our um, our own house until I'd been at Millwall about two or three years. So we lived in uh, flats around um, Forest Hill and Catford, that area. Right, George. Well, we've been going for nearly an hour and a half. I think that's probably quite a good time to. Thank you very much indeed for your time this afternoon and talking us through what is a great era for Millwall Football Club. Yeah, absolutely. And long may, long may they continue to have success anyway. I'd like to see them back in the first division or the, or the you know, the um, Premier League. Yeah, but the Premier League don't want that, I might add. <laughs> I think we, I, I think we, if we did eventually get there, I hope they do, at some time. But um, I think they, you know, if they got the right recruitment, they, they'd, they'd do well.
Progressive is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator. Okay, so this bike feels like he's capable of a little more than just trips to the convenience store. Oh, also, he wants to let you know that you can buy a gallon of ice cream instead of a pint every time. <laughs> Those are his words. So he said roughly, like, blink the last wheel. It doesn't really translate, but the way he said it was super funny. <laughs> Get 24-7 roadside assistance with Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Roadside assistance subject to policy terms and limits and may require comprehensive coverage. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.